How are you today? Good. Well, this past week, I am certain, um, whether you really watch the news or not, you've seen stories coming out of Oxford, Michigan, and a, another school shooting. I don't know about you, but I remember the very first one, well, I know there were others, but the first really prominent one that most of us remember happened in 1999 in Columbine, Colorado. And I remember even being in college at that point, hearing news of Columbine and just being floored that this had happened. And I remember the question that we were all asking was, well, could this possibly happen again? And as you hear news this week of Oxford, my guess is your question was not, could this possibly happen again, but rather when will it happen again? Where will it happen again? And in some ways, we live in a world where we have almost been desensitized to events like this. Because my guess is, as you heard news of this shooting, you did not have the same emotion you had 22 years ago when news of Columbine broke. Because we've gotten so used to hearing these stories. In one quick glance of the news today, you see stories of violence and war, conflicts in Russia and other countries around the world, refugees. You see wildfires. You see a volcano that's erupted. You see a new strand of this virus that we've been dealing with for the past two years. And as you look at our world, you have a sense that this is not the way things are supposed to be. We may be used to them, but there's a very profound sense. This is not how it is supposed to be or what it's supposed to look like. In this series, as we wait with Isaiah for the coming of Christ the King, we relate to a guy who is called to confront a nation, the nation of Judah, for their really systemic sin I guess if you were to say categorical sin of idolatry and injustice. There's lots of things that Judah could be said was their sins. But I think for the most part what Isaiah is confronting in the book of Isaiah is idolatry and injustice. As you think about Oxford, the, the harsh reality of it is in some ways we are contributors to it. You think, well, we live thousands of miles away. We had nothing to do with that event. It couldn't, but we are a part of a culture and a world where this happens. So in some ways we contribute to the problem. We, we are part of the problem. And as Isaiah is confronting a group of people, 
here who are part of the problem. You can say, well, we, we weren't the ones that caused it. This, is, this goes back to our kings. This goes back to our leaders. But the people are the problem. It was always the problem. Last week we finished with some words of hope to a nation, this kingdom of Judah that was hurting and feeling the weight of despair. Going in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will give birth, will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The, the hope for the people as this Davidic dynasty is decimated and is no more, that this holy seed would come out of this nation and would give hope. And the sign would be that this virgin would give birth to a son and it, the name would be Emmanuel. See, God's promise is his presence. What God promises the people is that in the midst of the despair, in the midst of the hopelessness, in the midst of the darkness, I will come to you. I will be with you, God with us. God's promise is his presence. And the beauty of that promise is in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, God will remain faithful that he will continue to pursue and love his people relentlessly. But the question I want to kind of deal with this morning as we get into chapter 9 is a really important question. How does Judah get to a place of such despair? To, to be God's chosen people, a people set apart, a people called out, how do they get to be in a place of such great despair? a place of hopelessness. And so I want to kind of go back a little ways. Isaiah is a prophet in the 8th century, and he is king, or he is a prophet during the reign of four different kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And during this reign, he is called to confront the kings, the leaders, and the people of these categorical sins the idolatry, the injustice that has become just second nature to Judah, the people that were supposed to represent God. But how did these kings get to their place? How did they get to a throne? To do that, we've got to go back even further to about the 11th century B.C. And there's a guy named Samuel who is one of the ju judges. Because for the first part of this young nation, God had appointed judges to rule and govern over this nation of Israel. And finally, Samuel, this prophet, this judge, is getting close to the point of death and really stepping down. And so the people come to him, 1 Samuel 8, they said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, 
such as all the other nations have. Your sons are old. Or you're old. Your sons don't follow you. They don't believe in your God. So we want you to give us a king so that we can be like all the other nations around us. We want someone to go before us and go fight our battles. We want someone we can cheer on to be a champion. And we want you to give us this. And so Samuel is frustrated and Samuel goes to God and talks to God and says, here's what the people want. And God says to him, okay, there, there are two really significant problems with this. And you need to go tell the people this is what's going to happen. The, the first problem is you are rejecting me as their king. You're saying to God, we don't really need you. We need someone else. So you're rejecting me as king. The second thing is a king will not love you and put you first the way I will. A king is going to ask you to pay taxes. A king is going to make you go work their fields. A king is going to make sure their needs are met. Their pursuit is going to be their power. And their first priority is not going to be the people, but it's going to be themselves. But then God says to Samuel, but if that's what the people want, then give it to them. And you can look at the history of Israel and you can say, well, things started okay. A king named Saul becomes the first king of this nation. And for the most part, if you look at what happens to the nation of Israel, for the most part, it goes okay. And then comes a king named David. And under David's reign, the nation of Israel begins to flourish. And life is good. And things are going really well. And they have a champion. And they're cheering him on saying, David's killed his tens of thousands and Saul's killed his thousands. It's, we love David. We love to have the champion. And then David's son Solomon becomes king. And the prosperity continues for a time. But as they near the end of Solomon's life, things start to get a little rough for this nation of Israel. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes king. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, continues kind of down the path of his father towards the end of his reign. And under Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and appointed on behalf of other people in the nation of Israel, come to Rehoboam, and they say this, your father has put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. And so Rehoboam goes to his advisors, and there's a group of them that says, hey, that's really good, that's a really good idea, why don't you do that? Let's lighten the load on the people, and then they're going to be indebted to you, and they're going to love you, and they're going to serve you, and they're going to follow you. But there's another group that gives him counsel. And they say, no, 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 make it even more difficult on them. 
than it already is. And they will be under your thumb. And you'll have control. And Rehoboam listens to their advice. And he makes things more difficult. And the nation finds itself in conflict and it splinters. And it becomes Israel, this northern nation, consisting of ten tribes. And Judah, these two tribes to the south. And this nation is fractured. And for Israel, there is this long line of bad kings that follow Jeroboam's reign. And for Judah, it's very much mixed of good and evil kings. Kings who did bad in the eyes of God. Until you get to the four kings we mentioned. Uzziah, who reigns for 52 years and is, for the most part, a really good king. But as we saw last week, he allowed his power and his pride and his prominence, his ego, to lead to his downfall. As he began to overstep his bounds as king. And his son, Jotham, follows. And Jotham reigns for 16 years, but you have to remember Jotham saw his father Uzziah stricken with leprosy right before his eyes as he defied God's word. And so, as you can imagine, Jotham kind of turns and he says, no, 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 I'm not going to defy what God says. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be committed to him. And for the most part, he is a really good king. And then comes his son Ahaz. And Ahaz reigns with his father for four years and then 16 years on his own. But Ahaz completely leads the people astray. He he runs off and begins to worship other gods. He partners with other nations and allows them to come into the temple to, to begin to worship their gods. And he completely leads the nation away from God. And I think a a big portion of what Isaiah is dealing with through here is what Ahaz has created. What's really interesting, backing up to Jotham, though, is even though Jotham tried to bring the people back to God, they were stubborn and would not listen. And so it made it so easy for Ahaz to continue that path. Hezekiah is a king who's going to reign for 26 years, and he's going to be an amazing king for this nation of Judah. He's going to bring the people back to God. He's going to restore temple worship. But Ahaz has created such a problem. Now, why do we, why do we need all that history to get to Ahaz and Hezekiah and these words from Isaiah? Because centuries ago, God told the people, if you really want a king, you can have one. But if you do, there are going to be consequences for generations to come that you're going to be forced to deal with. 
You're, you're going to do this. And I'm telling you, this is not what you should do, but if you want it, be careful what you ask for. Because the decision you're making right now is not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your children and their children and their children for generations. And Judah was feeling the full weight of those consequences because one look over the city walls and all you see is enemies surrounding on every hilltop, pressing in, suffocating you, making it feel like the walls are closing in. And the people ask, how long, God? How long must we wait? How long will things be like this? God, where are you? Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where you wish life came with a remote control and a rewind button? Where you could pick up the, the remote, hit rewind, and go back before the decision. Just hit rewind. And knowing what you know now, you get the opportunity to stand there and make the same choice over with this knowledge of how things went. Wouldn't it be amazing for the people of Judah right now in this moment, as they look over the walls, they see nations conspiring against them, closing in on them, just to say, rewind. Centuries back. Hey, give us a king to lead us. Here's the problem. If I give you a king, you're rejecting me. And if you do, they're going to make your life very difficult down the road. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could go back and they could have that chance all over again to say, you know what, God, we're going to listen to you. And we're going to do exactly what you said because we know where this could go. We know where this could end up. But unfortunately, we don't get a rewind button. We don't get to do it all over again. We're forced to live with the consequences of our decisions, the consequences of our disobedience, the consequences of our idolatry, the consequences of injustice. We have to live with it, just as Judah did. And Isaiah, just trying to paint a picture of how bad things seem, says this in chapter 8, verse 22. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is the way the people feel. Because they've created a world where God was not a part of the decision. And if you create a plan of action that does not take into account what God is doing in the world, 
you will always do the wrong thing. I think all, that's, that's kind of an overstatement, isn't it? Always. Because what it leads to, what it creates is idolatry. Right? What, what is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting and putting your hope and putting your strength in something or someone other than God. And when we make plans, when we figure out our course of action, minus God, that's idolatry. That's us saying we have the ultimate wisdom, and the ultimate strength, and the ultimate control. It's so funny because we want to be the solution to the problem we contributed to. That, that was Israel's solution. Well, well, we'll fix this. We got ourselves in this mess. We'll get ourselves out. But thankfully, the God who promised to be with them had a better idea. And their indifference and their lack of trust in him would not stop him from coming into their world. I wonder if Samuel could just jump forward from the conversation he had with God to Isaiah, to the people of Judah. If he might just ask, well, has your king become your slave master? Do you spend your life serving him? Are you oppressed? Are you weighed down by a heavy yoke? Does it seem like there's no way out? And I think Samuel might say, I know things seem really bad right now. But they haven't hit rock bottom. They're actually going to get worse. Does darkness surround you? Are you void of hope? Does it seem like the walls are closing in? That your enemy is waiting right outside your door? Because at the very moment when it seems like God would say, okay, I'm done with these people, no more, Isaiah speaks these words of hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Into this world full of despair and darkness and gloom, Isaiah says, hey, there's a light that's going to dawn. That there is hope in the midst of the darkness that there is going to be a light that comes into this world. 
There's going to be a light that brings hope, a light that brings healing, a light that's going to change things, a light that will begin to set things right so that the way things are now is not the way they will always be. A day when their consequences, when the consequences of their stubborn hearts are gone, where they're released from their bondage, where they're set free. But I would imagine these people say, well, how is that going to happen? Just look over the walls of the city. The enemies surround us. Despair is lurking around every corner. We have no hope. God, where will this come from? He says this, For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. Right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because God loved, God gave. A son is given. And the government, we don't have a great track record with governments. We have Uzziah who kind of fell off the tracks, and we have Ahaz who's led us astray. The government's not been great for us. This government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We want so badly to be the solution to the problem. Judah wanted so badly to be the solution to the problem. But Isaiah's reminder is that it is the Lord, going back verse 7, that it is the zeal of the Lord Almighty. It's God that's going to do this. It's God that's going to bring revival. It's God that's going to take care of us. See, they were people just like us, forced to live in a world that they had contributed to, that they had created, that they had been a part of. And they wanted the solution to be them. Just like we want the solution to be us. But the solution always been God, our Savior and King. The solution was always going to be Jesus. God loved, so God gave. And here's the truth. We we said this a few weeks back. You'll never look into the eyes of, of a person who was not created in the image of God, 
but you will never look into the eyes of someone who is not loved by God. And no matter what kind of world we have created, no matter what kind of world you have created for yourself, God loves you unconditionally and is passionately pursuing you so much so that he would give his son for you. See, because what they want is freedom from bondage. What they want is relief. What they want is help. What they want is deliverance. What they want is hope. What they want is security. What they want is God to intervene. What they want is God to rescue. But what they get is a child. What we get is a child. And God's promise is His presence. His promise is that in spite of what we've done, in spite of what we have done with His good creation, and to create a world that in no way reflects Him, He promises His presence. And in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to love, to pursue His people. Because God's way of revealing Himself to us, pursuing us, loving us, and inviting us to Himself is Jesus. The way that He shows up in our world is Jesus. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look no further than Jesus. Do you want to know what God thinks about you and how much He loves you? Look no further than Jesus. God's faithfulness is shown in Jesus. And He promises to enter into our world loving us fully, completely, passionately in pursuing us regardless of the world that we've created. Regardless of the ways that we've contributed to the problem. So here's the, here's the bad news. As Columbine and Oxford, they'll happen again. In political turmoil, it'll happen. In wars will happen. In violence on our streets and in our cities will happen. In the poor, the oppressed, forgotten, it's going to happen. But our hope is not in a person. It's in the crucified Lamb of God. He is our only hope. He is the one that we look to and we fall on our knees and we beg and we plead God, come and save us.
to which I think God responds, I have. I have. If you would just look up. If you would just look up and stop looking at yourself as the solution. As the politician is the solution. As our government is a solution. And find hope in Jesus. Do you believe this is for no one else to answer but you. Do you believe that Jesus is God's Son? That He gave His life to save this world and that He is our only hope? I mean, do you, do you honestly believe that? Or is that just something we say because we're at church and we're supposed to? Or does it influence how you live every single day of your life? My life. What would happen? What would it look like if our church, if the people of God, truly believed that Jesus was our only hope? And we began to live like it. What could happen? In this world that's broken and full of darkness, is it possible that a light could dawn on a new day? Father, today we thank you. We're grateful to be together. We're thankful for Jesus, our Savior, our King. And Father, we pray that you would transform our life through the power of your great name. Father, that you would change us. And Father, that you would begin to change this world and that we would see the hope of Isaiah's promise that a new day is dawning, that a new king is coming through this child that we wait for named Jesus who promises to be your presence with us. Father, help us today not to look at ourselves as the solution to the problem, but Father, to trust in you completely that you are powerful, that you are mighty, that you came to save. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for calling us your children. Father, we love you. We thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.